Standing on the platform of truth. Pioneer Health and Missions. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the opportunity that we have to be able to come boldly before your throne of grace. Father, I pray that as we look at the third witness today, that you will give us a special blessing of that grace upon us now, today. Father, I pray that as we open your word, that you will lead us and that you will guide us, that you will help us to understand that which you would know us to, that which you would have us to know and understand. Father, things that will help protect us in the time of the shaking that is coming upon us very quickly. Help give us a more sure foundation, a more firm foundation that our that the storm and tempest will not sweep away our structure but that we may hold fast to that which is true that we may have a solid anchor in the day of of these heavy waves that are striking and that will be striking so father i pray for your leading i pray for your guiding i pray that you will send your spirit to be with us I pray that you will touch my lips with a call from off your altar that i may present your thoughts here today through, your, uh, through my words and tone of voice and body language, that it may be yours and not mine. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at the third witness today, the, the, the witness that everybody has probably been waiting for and anticipating. This is what I call inspired utterances. Inspired utterances. And you'll see why when we get to, to Revelation. But the first witness we looked at was the spirit of prophecy is found in the Bible, just to brief summary there. And the second witness is the spirit of prophecy is found in the published works or the published writings of Ellen White. Now we're going to look at the third witness, which I will just go ahead and tell you is the pioneer advent movement. And we're going to see that in Revelation 10 and also in Revelation 3, 7 to 12. And from the first witness, and that we will also see some very, very powerful statements from the second witness as well. So I've got a fair amount of information here, so I'm going to go a little bit faster. And I also have a bit of reading to do because, brothers and sisters, I don't want this to be my word. I want this to be the word of the Lord. Amen? Now, we're going to look through the lens of the first witness, the spirit of prophecy found in the, as found in the Bible, first. And then we're going to look to the, uh, the lens of the second witness, the spirit of prophecy is found in the published works of Ellen White and the writings of Ellen White. And we will see how they point to the third witness. But before we do this, I, I want to bring forth a very important principle that needs to be brought out right now. And I want to do that by going to Revelation chapter 13 and verse 11. And in Revelation 13, 11, the word of God says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So the question I have is, what does this speak or spake as a dragon mean? Well, the first witness says spake as a dragon, but then the second witness kind of answers that question in great controversy when she says the speaking of the nation is the action of its legislative and judicial authorities. So a nation speaks by its laws. So therefore a religious movement would speak by its statement of beliefs. Hopefully that makes sense. As a, as a nation speaks by its laws, so a religious movement would speak by its statement of beliefs. So with that being said, let's go to Revelation chapter 10. 
Now, in Revelation chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11 specifically. But in Revelation chapter 10, I really want to drive home the fact that in Revelation 10, we've got the angel with hands raised, one hand, uh, one foot is in the water, one foot is on the, uh, the land. And by the description of, uh, of this angel, we recognize that this is none other than Jesus himself. I really want to drive that point home. This is none other than Jesus himself that is speaking and that gives command in verse 10 and 11. So Revelation 10, verses 10 and 11. Now, verse 10 says, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. I want to stop there for just a moment. Uh, the book, as I understand here, the book is the prophetic sections of Daniel. The reason it was sweet in the mouth is because in the book of Daniel, they saw that Jesus was going to be coming on October 22nd, 1844. And so that was extremely sweet to the Advent movement. But it turned very bitter in the belly when he did not come October 22nd, 1844. And so this was the whole movement that experienced the sweetness in the mouth and the bitterness in the belly. And all of it came from the book of Daniel, Daniel 8, 14, um, primarily, and an understanding of that. So uh, verse 11 now, and he said unto me, who is he? This is Jesus speaking. And who is me? Me here is uh, John the Revelator, but John the Revelator is symbolic of the whole Advent movement. Because remember, John the Revelator is the one that has just eaten the book, sweet in the mouth, bitter in the belly. So John is symbolic of the whole Advent movement. Okay, so Jesus says to John or to the Advent movement, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. So prophesy is to speak inspired utterances. And that's where the title comes from, to speak inspired utterances. So Jesus himself tells the Advent movement to speak inspired utterances, and this time again. So the Advent movement had inspired utterances to give to the people. I want you to think about that. I want that to sink in. John was symbolic of the Advent movement, not Ellen White. He was not symbolic of Ellen White here. It was not Ellen White alone who went through the disappointments. Therefore, it was not Ellen White alone who was to speak inspired utterances. So what were these inspired utterances? Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But the point that I want to drive home right now is that Jesus himself gave them command to speak inspired utterances. And like on Mount Sinai, he did not uh, entrust this to a created angelic being, but he delivered it to the Advent movement himself, the Son of God. So now let's go to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. And I'm going to go ahead and read this, verses 7 to 12, and comment on it as... I go along. Starting in verse 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, 
He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth and shutteth and no man openeth. Now in verse 7, we see very clearly the, the one that is speaking must be Jesus. And granted, if you've got a red letter edition, it's, it's in red, but you can't always go by that, just so you know. Um, and yes, it is red, but we can tell by the context that it must be Jesus speaking, and it is Jesus speaking. So we go down to verse 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So now here what we see in verse 8 is Jesus is speaking to the Philadelphian church, and we're going to identify this Philadelphian church uh, in verse 8, and unfortunately I just don't have time again, I've distilled this down, um, but you can find this, this, you can do the study yourself. And that's what I recommend, doing the study yourself. But the open and shut door there, the open door is referring to October 22nd, 1844, when Jesus went into the most holy place. So he's talking about a church, a, a group of people that are alive during October 22nd, 1844. Now, verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, I just want to make a quick comment here. And the only comment I'm going to say is uh, do a scripture research on that in the second uh, witness with the, the writings of Ellen White. And just read what she has to say about that verse. It's very interesting, very powerful. But I'm going to skip over it because of it doesn't really have to do a whole lot with what we're talking about. So verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So here in verse 10, we find end time language going on. Uh, the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the earth, Jesus says to this church. Uh, but I'm going to skip over that as well. We will go into that in greater detail, probably in the 144,000, which keep your eyes out for that video coming up. Uh, verse 11, the real point that I want to drive home here, it says, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. This is Jesus speaking to the Philadelphian church, and the Philadelphian church is in the time period of the 1844 uh, disappointments. And he tells them, Jesus himself tells them, hold that fast which thou hast. Extremely important. Now we're going to look at verse 12 really quickly. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So again, Jesus himself is delivering a message to the church during the time period of Jesus entering into the most holy place, which is the beginning of the judgment, October 22nd, 1844, and the beginning of the sealing message of the 144,000, uh, around 1848. And again, we'll, we'll delve more into that in the 144,000. But this message is a message of only positive. There's two churches that Jesus only spoke positive of. Smyrna 
and Philadelphia. Those two. Now the others had some negative mixed in, and depending on you know the church as to the variance of amounts of negative. But the Philadelphian church, Jesus had nothing negative to say about them. So, just just a, a, a thought here. Anyone who says evil of them and says they were ignorant farmers or says, like in the, the handbook of the Seventh-day Adventist Handbook of Theology on page 148, I believe, they say much should not be made, and I'm paraphrasing, of their error. Well, you know what, brothers and sisters, they're going to have to deal with Jesus because Jesus didn't speak anything negative against them. Who am I? Do I think that I'm better than Jesus? When, when we speak something negative about the pioneer Advent movement, the pioneers, then brothers and sisters, what you're really doing is you're putting yourself above Jesus. I want you to think about that. That's, that's, that's important to understand. He had only positive to say, and the message was, hold fast that which thou hast that no man take thy crown. And it is, as I see it, the same as the inspired utterances of Revelation chapter 10. And to let go of this truth is to let go of the crown. That crown is the crown of life. So to let go of the truths which they had, the inspired utterances that they spoke, to let go of them is to let go of the crown of life. Friends, this is important. I can't express that enough. This is of utmost importance. So what is the inspired utterance then that we are to hold fast to? Well, I want to go to witness number two, and I want to read uh, a paragraph uh, from witness number two. I am instructed, so this isn't an opinion. I am instructed to say to those who endeavor to tear down the foundation that has made us Seventh-day Adventists, we are God's commandment-keeping people. I want to stop there for just a moment. Seventh-day Adventists are, according to this, God's commandment-keeping people. According to God's instruction, Seventh-day Adventists are the commandment-keeping people. Now, if you're breaking the first commandment, as corporate does, by worshiping another god, then you're not commandment-keeping people. So therefore, you're not Seventh-day Adventist. Now, you can claim to be Seventh-day Adventist until you're blue in the face. Maybe according to man's definition you are, that's fine. But according to God's definition, if you are teaching somebody to uh, worship another god, to break the first commandment, then you're not God's commandment-keeping people, and so therefore you're not a Seventh-day Adventist, not according to God. And so I want to, you to keep kind of keep that in mind as we go through this. For the past 50 years, every phase of heresy has been brought to bear upon us to becloud our minds regarding the teaching of the Word, especially concerning the ministration of Christ in the heavenly sanctuary and the message of heaven for these last days as given by the angels of the 14th chapter of Revelation. That's referring to the three angels' messages, of course. Messages of every order and kind have been urged upon Seventh-day Adventists to take the place of the truth, which point by point has been sought out by prayerful study 
and testified to by the miracle working power of the Lord. But the waymarks which have made us what we are, are to be preserved, and they will be preserved, as God has signified through his word, and the testimonies of his spirit, witnesses one and two, he calls upon us to hold firmly with the grip of faith, who is us, calls upon us, Seventh-day Adventists, to hold firmly with the grip of faith to the fundamental principles that are based upon unquestionable authority. Now, if the fundamental principles were based upon man, then would they be unquestionable? No, they would be very much questionable because uh, we don't want the, the doctrines of men. We don't want the theology of men. We don't want the traditions of men because those things certainly are questionable. Some of them are good. Some of them are right. Some of them are, are, are fine and dandy, but they are still questionable. The only thing that is unquestionable is that which comes from Jesus. And this is who had instructed her. Jesus instructed her. So friends, the fundamental principles are based upon unquestionable authority, which means they did not come from man. Is not Jesus himself an unquestionable authority as in Revelation 3, 7 to 12, and also in Revelation chapter 10? Absolutely. The inspired utterances that we are to hold fast to and to give up would be to give up our crown is the fundamental principles. They are based upon unquestionable authority, which means they came from Jesus. They are inspired utterances. And this is how the movement spoke by their statement of beliefs, the uh, fundamental principles, not fundamental beliefs. By the way, they're not the same thing. The fundamental principles. And that is what makes us a Seventh-day Adventist. That's what makes me a Seventh-day Adventist. Brothers and sisters, I, I was born and raised a Seventh-day Adventist, seventh generation. But I realized that only in about, it was 2006 when I accepted the Father and Son truth. And that, brothers and sisters, is when I actually became a Seventh-day Adventist according to God's definition. So it's the fundamental principles. Now, here's a thought that uh, I have run across and I myself have dealt with. And so I want to put this out here real quick and clarify this before we go on. Wasn't it specifically Ellen White that Jesus spoke through to come up with those fundamental principles? Well, let's read something. Uh, read a couple of paragraphs in First Selected Messages 206.4 and 207.1. And here it says, many of our people do not realize how firmly the foundation of our faith has been laid. My husband, which was James White, Elder Joseph Bates, Father Pierce, Elder Hiram Edson, and others, and I'm just going to throw in others there, were uh, J.H. Wagner and, and Father, uh, the father of J.N. Andrews, uh, among some others that were, that were in this group. She continues, and others who were keen, noble, and true were among those who, after the passing of the time in 1844, searched for the truth as for hidden treasure. I met with them, and we studied and prayed earnestly. Often we remained together until late at night, and sometimes through the entire night, praying for light and studying the word. Again and again these brethren came together to study the Bible in order that they might know its meaning and be prepared to teach it with power. When they came to the point in their study where they said, we can do nothing more 
the Spirit of the Lord would come upon me. I would be taken off in vision, and a clear explanation of the passages we had been studying would be given me, with instruction as how to how we are to labor and teach effectively. Thus light was given that helped us to understand the scriptures in regard to Christ, his mission, and his priesthood. A line of truth extending from that time to the time when we shall enter the city of God was made plain to me, and I gave to others the instructions that the Lord had given me. I just want to point out real quick before I go into the next paragraph, there was a line of truth that was given to her. At that point, she saw that line of truth extend all the way to the second coming of Christ. Not changed. This this truth was not changed. Okay? It was extended all the way to the second coming of Christ, into the city. And it was made plain to her, she says. So going into the next paragraph, During this whole time, I could not understand the reasoning of the brethren. My mind was locked, as it were, and I could not comprehend the meaning of the scriptures we were studying. This was one of the greatest sorrows of my life. I was in this condition of mind until all the principal points of our faith were made clear to our minds in harmony with the word of God. The brethren knew that when not in vision, I could not understand these matters. And they accept it as light, direct from heaven, the revelations given. Now, the pioneers were inspired to these principles from the Bible. And when they couldn't go any further, then Jesus himself intervened as the Spirit and helped them come to the truth. There is here a general rule of thumb. As, as how to as, as how we should study. And again, I've, I've mentioned this before. I will mention it again. It's the same way that these uh, the three witnesses are set up in this series. We should start with the Bible and then the writings of Ellen White, the published works of Ellen White, and then the third witness going to the pioneers. And this is how we should study. This is how I study. Bible first, then the writings of Ellen White next as a clarification of the Bible. But as we have seen from the first and second witnesses, there is a third witness that has given us truth, and that is the pioneers. So we've looked at, uh, and, and the point that I was getting to there is that it was the pioneers that came together, and they are the ones that, that studied from the first witness and came to the conclusions of the fundamental principles. And when they couldn't go any further, when when they were uh, clashing in their understanding, then the second witness would step up, which was Jesus, as the spirit of prophecy through through Ellen White, and would give them clarification in complete harmony with the first witness, which is also Jesus. The first witness is Jesus, friends. The second witness is Jesus. Okay? So these men came to these things with the help of the first and second witness. And we see in Revelation 3, 7 to 12, and we see in Revelation chapter 10, that the first witness speaks incredibly highly of the third witness. And they are told to prophesy again, to speak inspired utterances. And those utterances are the fundamental principles as I see that. 
So now we've looked at witness one. Now let's look at witness number two and see what witness number two has to say about the pioneers, about witness number three. And this is actually, believe it or not, friends, this is actually where my studies really started to, uh, where I, the, the whole thing sparked in my head is I was actually reading a book on the King of the North and in there, there was a really small clip of something that Ellen White said. And I was like, whoa, that, that, that can't be what she said about the pioneers. No, she couldn't, she couldn't have said that about the pioneers. And so I went to the context and I was like, whoa, that is what she said about the pioneers. It's like, how, 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 I need to study this. And, and so this whole series sparked off because of this one statement, and I'm going to read it to you here in a minute. It's not the statement I'm about to read, but it will be the second statement here. So I'm going to read two statements, uh, a couple of paragraphs apiece. And it was that, that statement that really sparked this whole thing off. These are very, very powerful, extremely powerful statements. And I want you to hear these. Review and Herald, May 25, 1905, paragraph 21. God has given me light regarding our periodicals. This is not her opinion. Uh, obviously, it's, it's a published works. It's one of her published works. But even so, she still says God has given me light. So it's not an opinion. What is it, she says? He has said, who has said? God has said that the dead are to speak. How? Their work shall follow them. We are to repeat the words of the pioneers in our work who knew what it cost to search for the truth as for hidden treasure and who labored to lay the foundation of our work. So who is it that laid our foundation? The pioneers. They move forward step by step under the influence of the spirit of God. I want that to sink in, friends. They uh, moved forward step by step under the influence of the Spirit of God. Not of their own opinion. This is how they came to inspired utterances, to speak inspired utterances. One by one, these pioneers are passing away. The word given me is, let that which these men have written in the past be reproduced. And in the signs of the times, let not the articles be long or the print fine. Do not try to crowd everything into one number of the paper. Let the print be good and let earnest living experiences be put into the paper. Now, before I read the next paragraph, I, I want to I read something to you. Let's, let's open up uh, our, our Bibles to 2 Peter 1.21. The first witness says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirits. I've always read Second uh, Peter 1.21 there and understand it in the context to be referring to the prophets of the Old Testament. And that is, of course, a, a very correct understanding. But pay attention to this next paragraph in the Review and Herald, May 25, 1905, paragraph 23. The second witness says, not long ago, I took up a copy of the Bible Echo. As I looked it through, I saw an article by Elder Haskell and one by Elder Corliss. As I laid the paper down, I said, these articles must be reproduced. There is truth and power in them. Men 
spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want you to notice what she just said. The second witness just quoted the first witness where the first witness had used a statement to point back to the prophets of the Old Testament. The second witness quoted that as referring to the pioneers. She says men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I want that to sink in. I want you to ponder that. If you need to push pause, then push pause. I want you to ponder that. The next paragraph says, Let the truths that are the foundation of our faith be kept before the people. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They talk science and the enemy comes in and gives them an abundance of science. But it is not the science of salvation. It is not the science of humility, of consecration, or the sanctification of the spirit. So, brothers and sisters, these are shakings that are going on. And she's telling us how to stand firm in the shaking. And that's part of why this three witnesses series I have put together and put out. Because there is a massive shaking that is about to come upon us. If we think we've been through a shaking, we haven't been through anything yet. We're going to need all three witnesses. And she's telling us here how to stand firm. By She's giving us the third witness to help with our firmness in this time of shaking, a foundation. She says, we are now to understand what the pillars of our faith are, the truths that have made us, us are Seventh-day Adventists, God's true Seventh-day Adventists, truths that have made us as a people what we are, leading us on step by step. If we are true Seventh-day Adventists, then we are going to fit God's definition of a Seventh-day Adventist, and that is those that stand on the fundamental principles and have the pillars of the faith, the truths that, are, that have made us as a people. And the best way to do that is to accept all three witnesses. Friends, if we deny any one of the three witnesses, we are denying a, a, a foundation and we're going to need this foundation. God gave it for a reason because the shaking that is coming up is going to be so powerful, so strong. We need the surest foundation that we can get. And this is why God gave it to us. I want to read another statement. And part uh, partway through here, uh, the, the last paragraph of this statement is the one that really got me to thinking and studying on this topic. But second selected message is 111.1 and paragraph 2, starting in paragraph 1, though. Satan is working that the history of the Jewish nation may be repeated in the experience of those who claim to believe present truth. So I want to stop there for just a moment, friends. There is a reason the great controversy starts out the way it does with uh, the destruction of Jerusalem. There is a parallel. There was a shaking during the time of Christ, and most people, unfortunately, were shaken out of the movement. Only the disciples were left in the true movement. Now, from the Jews' perspective, from the Hebrews' perspective, the disciples were shaken out. But in reality, it was not the disciples that were shaken out. They were the ones left standing on the truth. They were the real Jews. And the others were shaken out 
of the truth. And so if we want to stand firm on the truth, then we need to pay attention. If we want to stand during the shaking that is coming, then we need to pay attention to what the second witness is telling us. The Jews had the Old Testament scriptures and supposed themselves conversant with them, but they made a woeful mistake. The prophecies that refer to the glorious second appearing of Christ in the clouds of heaven, they regarded as referring to his first coming. Because he did not come according to their expectations, they turned away from him. Satan knew just how to take these men in his net and deceive and destroy them. Paragraph two, the very same Satan is at work to undermine the faith of the people of God at this time. There are persons ready to catch up every new idea. The prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are misinterpreted. These persons do not consider that the truth that has been set forth at the appointed time by the very man whom God was leading to do this special work. I want to stop there for just a moment. And I want to point out, friends, if we don't think the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are important, then we don't understand first or second witness or the third witness. We need to understand that the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation are important. And what is being uh, given here, again, is she is trying to point us to a sure foundation. We've got witness one, we've got witness two. She is pointing to the need of witness three during an extreme shaking that is going to happen. She says, continuing, these men followed on step by step in the very fulfillment of prophecy, such as in my own words here, Revelation 10. And those who have not had a personal experience in this work, I want to stop there. And those who have not had a personal experience in this work, that, brothers and sisters, is me. That's you. That's us. None of us had a personal experience in the work that she is referring to, in the work of, of hammering out the fundamental principles, in the work of, of dealing with that uh, great disappointment. We have not dealt with that. And so she is talking to us when she says, those of us who have not had a personal experience in this work, that's you, that's me. We are to take the word of God and believe on their word who have been led by the Lord in the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. I want that one to sink in. That was the statement that when I read it in this book on the, regarding the king of the north, I read that and, I, and he was saying, we need to take their word. And, and I read that quote and I'm like, whoa, what? No, I don't think so. They're, they're, they're not inspired. Now you give me the Bible and you give me the writings of Ellen White. Yeah, I'll take that. But, but no, I won't take the, the pioneers. But, but I, how do I understand this? And I thought, well, for sure that was taken out of context. And I, I just knew for sure it was taken out of context. So I went back and I researched and I looked it up and I was like, whoa, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, that's not taken out of context. They, they, they didn't take that out of context in the book. And I just read you the whole context there, just so you know. That was not taken out of context. And I just, I just, my mind was reeling. And so I had to begin to study this. And friends, I can tell you that I'm so grateful that I'm studied, I've studied this because 
the pioneers have given me the third leg to the the firm solid platform uh, the foundation they help to expand and expound upon the truth and and in the next uh, the next video I will show that so I don't want to 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 take the sail out of the uh, the windowless out of my sails now by doing that but she says I just want to read it again these men followed on step by step in the very fulfillment of prophecy and those like us who have not had a personal experience in this work are to take the word of God and believe on their word, the pioneer's word, who have been led by the Lord in the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's messages. These messages received and acted upon are doing their work to prepare a people to stand in the great day of God. If we search the scriptures to confirm the truth, God has given his servants for the world. We shall be found proclaiming the first, second, and third angels messages. I think that's very interesting what she says there. She says, we are to take the word of God and we are to believe on their word, the pioneer's word, but we are to compare their word to the word of God. And what we're going to find is that when we do that, we're going to find that they were preaching the three angels messages. And when we take their word, and go off of their word, uh, and then we compare it with the word of God. Once we compare it with the word of God, we're going to find that because we've been going off their word, we're, we're preaching the three angels' messages. That's what she's saying. Powerful. Powerful. Now, am I saying the pioneers were inspired? Well, that's kind of a trick question. Yes and no. Now, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not saying they were inspired as individuals, uh, not in the sense of a prophet like Ellen White or Paul, though I do recommend that you read uh, about more about Jan Loughborough because he did receive dreams and visions uh, from God, and I, I'm not going to go into detail on those now. But as individuals, am I saying they were inspired? No. James White wasn't inspired. Uh, Loughborough wasn't inspired in the sense of a prophet. But... As a group or a movement or a body, absolutely, I am saying they were inspired. That is what witness one, one and two have said unequivocally. So therefore, I make no bones about saying it unequivocally. Revelation 10 said they were to speak inspired utterances. The second witness said they were men moved by the Holy Spirit. You can't get any clearer than these things. Do I believe everything that, say, Loughborough believed or, or wrote or James White wrote? Uh, no, I don't. Why? Because as individuals, they weren't prophets. But where they are all in agreement on the fundamental principles, absolutely. I agree with them 100%. So one more question here. What if it is not a fundamental principle? So what about a teaching that they all held that is not a fundamental principle, like such as the 144,000. And I bring that one up because I'm, I'm going to talk about the 144,000 next. Uh, or, or, well, not after this, um, but after the series. I, I, so watch for that video. But what about the 144,000? It was not a fundamental principle. Now, I, I don't know why it wasn't a fundamental principle because they all held the same doctrine, every last one of them according to J.N. Loughborough, held the same doctrine 
on the 144,000. So why it wasn't uh, a part of the, the fundamental principles, I, I'm not sure. But I just trust in God because God didn't put it there for a reason. Um, so what about something like that where they all agreed but it wasn't a fundamental principle? Well, where they were all in agreement and I cannot disprove it from witness number one or witness number two, then friends, I'm going to take it very seriously, especially if they held it during the 1880s. Now, the reason I say during the 1880s is because had they accepted righteousness by faith during the 1880s, that was the one thing that, they were, that was left for them to accept and Jesus could have come. So if they held a doctrine during the 1880s, uh, then that church was ready to be uh, raptured into heaven by Jesus. And if they held that doctrine, then who am I to say that it was wrong if I can't disprove it from witness one and witness two? You see where I'm coming with that? So then I'm going to take it extremely serious and I'm going to accept it as truth. Again, as long as I can't disprove it from witness one and two. So I want a quick summary and then I will conclude this. Witness number one says that the pioneer Advent movement spoke inspired utterances and they were to hold that fast which thou hast that no man take thy crown. Now these inspired utterances that they were to hold fast to were the fundamental principles given by God in his wisdom, not his error, his wisdom. Okay, so now witness number two says that the pioneer Advent movement was quote, under the influence of the Spirit of God, that's powerful, and were men that spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and that God was leading them to do this special work in the very fulfillment of prophecy, and brothers and sisters, we are to believe on their word. Wow, that is powerful. I can't express that enough. That is so powerful. So powerful. Be as the noble Bereans, brothers and sisters, and study this further. Study this further. But I want to ask, I want to call you to a decision now. I want to ask that you will raise your hand if you see clearly from the first witness and the second witness that the pioneer Advent movement spoke inspired utterances, that they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and that you are willing to accept them as a third witness. Now, if you're willing to do that, I would ask that you would raise your hand. And then I would ask that you would kneel with me in prayer, that we may seal that decision in prayer with God, because friends, the devil doesn't like you making that decision. He does not want you to recognize that the pioneers are a third witness. This is the deciding factor. This is the deciding factor. I just want to point this out real quick. Thousands believe in the Bible. Thousands of religions believe in the Bible, and I call them religions. Hundreds of different religions, Christian, quote, Christian religions, believe in the King James. Now, by the time we, that's the first witness. Hundreds believe in the first witness. 
Only dozens believe in the second witness, the published writings of Ellen White. But by the time we get to the third witness, brothers and sisters, there's really only one left. And that's the pioneer Advent movement of which I am a part of. It is really only the pioneer Advent movement that truly believes in the writings of the pioneers to the extent that they are a third witness. So you see, do you see why the devil doesn't want this understanding? Because by the time we get through all three witnesses, friends, all of the riffraff has been shed aside. That dross has has been melted out. And now we are standing upon the, the clear truths of God's word. And we are going to be firm in the shaking that is going to come. So I ask that if you're willing, those of you who are willing to accept uh, the, the third witness, that you would kneel with me now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. And Father, we thank you for all three witnesses. Father, I know there were some statements there that were that may have been extremely eye-opening to some people, just as they were extremely eye-opening to me. Father, I pray that you will send your spirit to impress these deeply upon the heart, not just the mind, but upon the heart. Father, we are coming upon a shaking very soon that is going to be so great that anything that can be shaken will be shaken. And Father, you have given us all three witnesses for a reason. Not just an arbitrary, hey, I think I want to give them you know, more information. No, but Father, you gave us all three witnesses for a reason. And we should see and accept all three witnesses if we are going to stand fast for the truth. If we are going to be a part of the 144,000 and stand during this time of shaking as a true witness for you, then, Father, we need all three witnesses. So, Father, I, I pray that you send angels that excel in strength to watch over and protect those that have made a commitment to accept the Pioneer Advent Movement as the third witness because the devil doesn't like it. Father, I pray for your blessings upon each and every one of us. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Standing on the Platform of Truth. Pioneer.